Have you ever described the potato as lowly? Well, the heritage variety of the potato that is at the center of today's episode is anything but. In fact, it's regal. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Today on Lush Life, Emma Hamilton, the co-founder of Edwards 1902 Vodka, will attest to the fact that the King Edward potato should be respected, not only for being a tasty tuber, but for being at the heart of an award-winning vodka. She and her co-founders have gone on to create a coffee liqueur, a rhubarb vodka, and so much more from the King Edward potato. Today, we'll be earthing up the story of how it all came to be. That's potato lingo, by the way. But before we do that, did you know that you can now watch the podcast on YouTube? So check out the Lush Life YouTube channel. Just head to youtube.com slash Lush Life Manual. That's youtube.com slash Lush Life Manual. Now, on to Emma and Edwards 1902. It's great to have you here. I'm so excited. I haven't had someone who made something in England for a while. Great. Especially now that we have a king on the throne. Maybe it's fate or kismet that we should talk about a, a vodka that came from a king, tangentially. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you, you know, I know who you are. So why don't you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Cool. Thank you for having me for a start. My name is Emma. I am co-founder of Edwards 1902. We make English potato vodka here in the UK. We're based right on the border of Yorkshire and Lincolnshire. And we make, as we were just mentioning, I've got a bottle here. We make vodka from the King Edward potato. So the potato is a local variety to us where we're based at the distillery. It was founded, I first cultivated, I think they say, eight miles away. So it's a really local variety to us. The whole thing came about because my other co-founder is in the potato growing business. He's fourth generation and they have been growing King Edwards for over a hundred years locally. And for anyone that doesn't know much about potatoes, the King Edward is a real all-rounder potato. It's really creamy. It's known for its creamy nose. And long before I was involved in the conversation, Ben and Richard, two of the co-founders, were adamant that with this potato, they could do something fun. They wanted a bit of a, a passion project with it. You know, there's not, it's not that sexy growing and selling potatoes. They were convinced that the King Edward potato, being local, the conditions that we grow it in, Lincolnshire limestone soils is sort of the best growing conditions for that potato. So it really is a Lincolnshire through and through potato. And they, there wasn't many single variety vodkas on the market. So... We all came together. The families got together. My father has worked with Richard for many, many years. He wasn't quite prepared to do it himself, but he said, I know my son and my daughter would be really interested. This was back in 2018. I was working in London in hospitality. I'd, I'd started off working here. I worked mainly in the event side of things. So I was working at the O2 Arena. I was a venue manager there. And then I moved to private members clubs. And then I was head of sales for a big events and restaurant group. So I kind of, I was dipping my toe in the hospitality scene here, but I was certainly no mixologist. Um, I can't, I, I've actually never worked on a bar uh, until now. 
now I I work a lot on the bar because we do an awful lot of <laughs> events. So that's my background, what I brought to the table. My brother is a microbiologist. So he was, he'd, I think he'd been working for an environmental agency, um, wanted something else to do. And basically my father put us up to it. He said they'd be really interested. Richard and Ben didn't have the skill set in terms of of selling it and making it and marketing it. So collectively, we thought this is a brilliant recipe to try and make this a success. They knew they had the great raw ingredient on the doorstep. And yeah, it took a couple of years. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay, okay. Slow down, slow down. We need way Sorry. more of that story and a little <laughs> bit to unpack or we'll be done in two seconds. Sorry. Like so many questions. No, go, not at all. Go. All right, so... So you said that they had been growing potatoes for four centuries yeah. or f- four generations. Fourth generation, yeah. Fourth generation, yes. right. So they'd been selling potatoes for four generations. Like, was it, was it always King Edward potatoes? And who were they selling to? So a, a mix of potatoes, of which the King Edward is just our local variety. So that's the one that we were sort of emotionally attached to. And that's the one that we thought, here's a good story in terms of making, making spirits. Oh, I think, I don't know enough about the potato side of the business, really. But, you know, big supermarket, they do all sorts. And I suppose one of the nice things is the vodka side of it repurposes the potato for all the rejects at the supermarket. And obviously, wonky veg was a huge thing a couple of years ago when Jamie Oliver brought that to, to the table. And the nice thing is about processing potato vodka is that we can use wonky potatoes. We can utilize all the rejects that were not going to be sold into the shops. It's slightly different now, I guess, because they do bags of wonky spuds and this, that and the other, but there's still an awful lot, a lot that wouldn't be used and wouldn't be sold into the supermarkets. And so it's a really nice, it's a really nice thought that we're able to do that. Well, it's great. It's like it has a sustainability factor already built in with the wonky potatoes. Now, the guys, were they just playing around with the idea of having a spirit? Did they see that, you know, spirits were the thing? What did that come out of? That idea of, okay, let's make a vodka from this after so many years. Yeah, a bit, a bit of both, really. Knowing the potato industry and the way they do, they were just convinced that there wasn't anything out there that would be the same as what we could create from just the king of the potato, which again is, is the local one that we kept coming back to. There are a few out there that use single varieties I meant, why even start a vodka in the first place? They're four generations potato growers. Passion project. They just, they were convinced that they could do something else with the potatoes, with the knowledge they had, and then convinced they could create something that was really, really, really premium. And with the gin boom that was going on, and it's kind of coming to a bit of a, an end now, with the gin boom at its peak, I guess, there was talk about what spirits were going to come next? What was going to be the next big thing? And there was just this growing interest in potato vodka. People around the country and up in Scotland were producing potato vodka. And I think we just thought, well, this is it. This is what we need to try and do. And we don't want to take any longer thinking about it. We just need to, you know, we knew the process would take long enough. And it's just as if it was perfect timing. I was coming to a natural end with a job I'd been in for seven years. Um, I sat down with my boss and he said, we were looking at a budget for the next, the upcoming year. And he just went, Emma, you're, you're not in it anymore, are you? And I said, I'm not. And it, I just had a click moment and I thought, I knew this was all going on in the background and I knew the opportunity to do something of our own. And I thought, okay, this is, this is the right time. And then lo and behold, six months later, we went into lockdown. 
<laughs> That's oh, a different oh, story. Oh, boy. All right, right. Before the six months, before the lockdown story. Um, <laughs> so you, you, you've got this idea. You know, I guess you have to buy still and all that. Um, yeah. What were the next steps from, okay, we're going to do a vodka. We have the team. Let's go. So Richard had a friend who had recently sold his business and he was looking for something fun, something to invest in. And we approached him and he was like, why aren't you guys making vodka? So they'd obviously had conversations. He was like, you're potato growers. The best vodka's made out of potatoes. Why aren't we doing this? And, you know, long story short, he became our investor. We ordered a beautiful big still. We're based on the potato growing site. So we're, we're what we call a real soil to spirit production. So everything is controlled. The potatoes are stored next door, basically. So we were like, we've got the space. We've got the ability to do it. And that's the real fortunate position to be in. You know, we didn't have to start in our kitchen at home like a lot of, you know, smaller distilleries do. And obviously it's different when you're making vodka. We're making it from potatoes. We're not buying in brain spirit and distilling it like a lot of gin, gin brands would do. So it was, a, it was a big thing to get distill and to get set up. And it always takes a lot longer than you'd ever realize. Of course, everything does. As everything does. And yeah, and then we had to learn how to make vodka because we did not have a distiller on the books. You know, we didn't, we were a team of people that thought we've got different skill sets here that are going to work together. We've got a great raw ingredient, but now we've got to figure out how to make vodka. And I think that's the special piece of our story is that we didn't employ, you know, a team that had been doing it for 20, 30 years. We've kind of all learned on the job and we've all been doing this and, um, yeah, we've got an interesting makeup of the team. You know, Ben is very technical. He runs the site. Matthew, my brother, being a microbiologist, the way he approaches things. And he taught, you know, went on his distilling courses. Richard, with his knowledge of the potato industry and my kind of knowledge in sales, marketing, and a little bit about the hospitality industry. So that helps with the on-trade side of the business. How did you know how you wanted it to taste? A lot of trial and error. And even down to trialing different yeasts that we use different cuts of the potatoes. Interestingly, we're learning throughout the year that, you know, the potatoes will taste slightly different. Each batch, because it's a batch mm -hmm. process, is slightly different. And that's something I think that's really exciting. We kind of, we made our first, we were happy with our, our first batch in April 20. And I think we started trying different vodkas earlier that year. And it was a case of, we'd all sit, literally, we would just sit around the table, we would trial and error and we would trial and, you know, especially when it's a group committing, that can take some time. Whilst we were in a rush to get going, we were also not in a rush. We were doing it in our own time. And it was most important that we were creating what we perceived to be a really premium product. We were really wanting to start flying the flag for, for premium British spirits. The category was growing. We wanted to contribute to that with something that we, you know, would be really, really proud of. And yeah, I mean, I can't remember exactly how many batches we tried, but we did try several. At the beginning, did you just buy all the like potato yes. made vodkas and sit around a table and go, okay, I want it yeah. to taste a little like this. No, no, I want it to taste a little bit like this. Let's try and make a little of this. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. To a certain degree, you do. You kind of, what's the benchmark? You know, which ones do we love? Right. Which ones do we drink? Richard was a vodka drinker. My husband's Polish. So I am used to Eastern European vodkas um, in my house. So we kind of knew what the benchmark was and where we wanted it to sit in the market. We kind of knew what we were aiming for. 
But that's not always what translates into the first glass that you try, right? Of course. So about how long did it take for you to find exactly like, yeah, like that Eureka? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is where we're, we, we've got something that we can put in a bottle. I think we were, I think we were a few, a few months. That's not too bad. A few months of trial and no, I, then my, my guys might correct me, but I don't remember it being as long as you'd, you'd imagine it to be. And I think that, again, was what we were so shocked by, that just by using what we believed to be such a great raw ingredient to begin with made all the difference. You know, we didn't have to cut corners. We didn't have to do anything strange to make it work. It just worked. And it was just about getting the balance. And yeah, and it was, it's crazy to think back. It's only been two years since we started this. That first batch that we all sat around and went, this is it. We are loving. It tastes smooth. It tastes just what we want it to do. And it tastes a bit different to everything else that's out there because historically, vodka was neutral. It was bland. You were meant to disguise it with a mixer. It was meant to be flavorless and odorless. And actually, that's not how vodka is now. People are open to a characterful vodka. And that's, you know, that's, that's definitely where we are. We're not a bland, we're not a disguise mean, don't drink me with lemonade or Coke <laughs> or anything like that. This is let the, let the vodka sting. It's a real, it's a real flavorsome vodka. So once you had the liquid, had you, did you already have the name and the bottle idea and um, the label? Talk me through the kind of the marketing bit of it. Yeah. So we don't have a label on the bottle. They're sprayed. The bottle process, I think, took the longest. We knew we where we wanted to pitch the product in the market. We wanted to sit at the premium end of the market. It's a really expensive process, the way we make Edwards. So we knew that the price had to reflect that. Therefore, the bottle, the branding, all of that had to reflect a, a premium product. So we, we went down the line of having a bespoke bottle made. Oh, wait, before you get into the bottle, talk me through the name. Now, the King Edward Potato. Yes. Uh, why is it called that? You have, oh, I'm looking away because you have 1902. There's, yes, is part of it. So the King Edward potato cultivated just down the road from the distillery, as I've mentioned, it is one of the oldest English varieties of potatoes. And in 1902, King Edward VII was around his coronation. They gave the potato its royal ascent, its name. Um, and that's where it came from. So Edwards 1902 directly translate to the name of the potato, the year it was given its title. So yeah, in terms of what we were saying about the king, we are directly right. talking about the royal story here and the royal history. And, um, you know, I've saved a little fact about King Edward VII later for you. But, um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, it is one of the oldest the oldest cultivars of potatoes. And that's, yeah, Edward's 1902, that's where it came Now back to the bottle, that it was going to be premium. So we knew what we wanted. We didn't want to go off the shelf. So we were really lucky that we're in the same county as one of the UK's best glass bottle producers. So we paid them a visit and we basically designed this bottle together. We worked with a marketing agency, Early Doors, who, and I can show you here. So their bottle design was kind of designed to replicate the crown. So we wanted this bespoke finish around the neck. We, we wanted something that supported its name, that told a story, and that had a really beautiful, unique finish to it. We wanted something that would stand out. And luckily, most people grab the bottle and go, oh my gosh, I've never seen a bottle like this. I mean, at the front of the bottle, we've embossed the 
the W from the Edwards. And these have a vignette finish. So we tried all sorts of different finishes to the bottle. Our very first batch that we released in April 20, we released 1,902 bottles to our founding members. We released a founders club and they were fully black bottles. So they are kind of collector's bottles now. That was our first ever batch that we did. So we saved the beautiful black bottle for that. That was going to be our first release. It was always going to be the most special bottle that we made. And then from that, we, we settled on sort of a half and half. Um, yeah. Because we don't use a label, because we just use, we spray the, all the print is sprayed right. directly on. Using a clear bottle was really difficult. We were struggling to see the text through the back and through the front. Right. And the vignette was kind of a really good middle ground. We got that unique finish. We got something totally different, but the white text was still showing through enough. And then we've got the, the beautiful metallic gold that we add on. And if you open the bottle, there's obviously we've got the bespoke capsules and we've actually got bespoke wooden corks in there as well. They're embossed corks oh, for every bottle. So a lot of attention to detail. Again, keeping it UK based, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. some of my guys have been at the bottle producer today and it's just great having them, A, that they're so close to us, they're Yorkshire based and being able to, you know, have our hands held and, and work through that process with them is, is just great. And yeah, I mean, they're one of a few local suppliers we work with, but how great that we can, you know, have our bottle made a few miles away on such a scale. Yeah, it's great. It's fab- fabulous. Yeah, it's wonderful. We had our own. So it's what you, you have a mold made. So all the future bottles of Edwards and we'll talk about the rhubarb that we've just released in a moment will all just fit that mold. So all of our vodka will have the same bottle. They'll just be slightly different in color or in design. Or- oh, great. Fantastic. Now we'll just stick to this vodka now. So you have it, you have your, it's in the bottle. You've got your black bottles, you have your founders. And obviously your founders are your biggest supporters. There's a lot of vodka out there. How did you mm-hmm. feel that you were going to get yourself heard? That was, I think that's the, that's the hardest thing when you're a small independent and you're trying to break the market and you launch during a worldwide lockdown. We, we could, you couldn't make it up. The things that we, we were up against in those early doors, you know, you just, you wouldn't no, wish it on not. any new business. And that was hard. But to spin a positive on that, we were all at home. Everyone was focused at home. We had time to build the brand. Mm-hmm. We had time to get our e-commerce platform up and running. We had time to shout on social media. We had time to engage with people that otherwise we perhaps wouldn't have been able to because no one was behind the bar working. They weren't running around, running shifts. You know, the buyers for the supermarkets and the shops weren't running around store floors. You know, everyone was forced to sort of slow down. And it's the only, you know, it's the only positive we could take from it was that we had time to really focus. And then when, when the world did open up again, it looked like we had a full brand ready to go because we'd worked so hard on the website. Because everything takes longer than you anticipate, right? You Always. think we've got the bottle, we're ready and we've got the liquid and we're ready. And then you go, oh my gosh, the website's not quite where I want it to be. Or there's always something. But the lockdown happening, yes, it was, it was awful. But at the same time, we had such an opportunity to engage with people that I think we probably wouldn't have been able to do so early on. So we were all over social media. We were trying to grow a following there and we were trying to grow a local following. That's how we first started. Lincolnshire is a huge county. We're right on the border of Yorkshire as well. Richard, co-founder, is Yorkshire. I'm the Lincolnshire side of it. So we were able to sort of spread the love across those two counties. And that was our, 
that was our plan initially was Brexit forced everyone to support local a lot more than they'd ever done before, even post-Brexit. So we had a bit of a captive audience of people that wanted to support local producers. And I think that was wonderful that people were wanting to spend maybe a little bit more on a product because A, they couldn't go anywhere and B, they thought, well, I know the guys that make this. It's, it's down the road from me, especially in Lincolnshire. So we, we started shouting locally. We tried to get local buy-in. We would talk the papers. We were small steps, I guess. And the founders really helped with that. You set up a founders club and you get this wonderful community of people that are your biggest supporters from the word go. And then we just started to reach, you know, far and wide. Let's try and talk to some slightly bigger retailers. Let's try. We tried to talk to the on trade. It was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, nothing was open. They weren't sure whether they'd reopen. And those that were towards the end of lockdown, they had so much stock. Right, of course. They had so much stock left. They weren't taking on new, new brands. So that then brought a whole new set of challenges when the world opened up and the on trade started to open up again but not for new brands. And that was really tricky. So it certainly feels like 2022 has been our first year in business. Even though we've been going for two years, the ups and downs of starting a business during lockdown has, you know, finally is fading away from us. Well, it can't, um, it can't hurt that you have yeah. um, won so many awards. Yeah, and that, you know, that's the other thing. So lockdown allowed us to enter a lot of awards mm-hmm. early doors. So we just sat around, all of us on our laptops independently, because obviously we weren't together. And we'd got, we'd got pallets of vodka that we'd put in this beautiful bottle and we had nowhere uh-huh. to send it or sell it. And we were able to, you know, sell a little bit online. But we entered every award that we could afford and that we could do. Some stuff went off to San Francisco. We did stuff locally here in the UK. And our first batch won several gold awards. And that's, I think that was what we needed to know that we were onto something good and to know that the team we had in place were capable of some really great thing. Also to know that, that what you think tastes good, someone else tastes good as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good benchmark. I've said it, I said it before with other vodkas, but it's a really good, it's a really good stopping point to say, actually, yes, we obviously love it. We have to, but I think mm-hmm. they love it. And these people who have tried hundreds and thousands of other spirits, think that we're making good alcohol, you know, and from a small team that have never done it before, from a product that we are super proud of being local to us and really British product, it all fell into place. It all just started to fall into place. And I think we've just grown and grown from that point. So the vodka, I lose track now, the vodka won several gold awards. It's got two-star great taste in terms of the retail side of things, but they went out to San Francisco when we released the coffee. That picked up some great awards. And we do keep going with it. You know, we want to make sure that what we're making today is as good as it was in April 22, um, April 20. So we still enter awards with the same liquid just to check that we're still making, you know, the vodka as good as we still think it is. Since you brought up the coffee, you have coffee, you have rhubarb vodka, and you have the canned cocktails, which I have behind me as well. (laughs) Tell me about how each of them started as well. So the coffee was the next. I think we released the the vodka in the April 20. And then naturally, when things get exciting, you're all sat there going, what's next? What's next? And you, you have to calm yourselves down a bit, but it's really exciting when the ball's rolling. And we've got this distillery now that's working and we know the process and we know what we're doing. We like, so we are really fortunate to be based 
probably 200 meters from one of the best coffee roasters in the UK. And to say we literally knocked on the door and said, hey, guys, you might have seen us. We're around the corner. They all knew each other from where, where they've been based and trading for years. We think that this vodka, because it's really creamy, and a lot of the feedback we were getting from the awards was vanilla, chocolate, creamy. So we were like, we need to make a coffee liqueur. These guys are next door. We approached them and we just very collaboratively worked on a cold brew coffee liqueur. So we tried several different roasts of coffee beans. The guy from the, I'll never forget, I drove up to the distillery one day and the guy from the coffee roasters literally walked around just with loads of coffees. And he'd obviously had the, he'd had the liquid, he'd had the vodka to try. And we just sat around and it was a great day. And we were just trying every different coffee that he thought worked. Mm-hmm. And um, again, collectively, we sat around and we came to the agreement that a single origin Guatemalan coffee bean was the perfect accompaniment to this single variety vodka that we'd made. We kept it really simple. There's no mixing of ingredients here. These are just two really good standalone products, ingredients that just blend perfectly. So that winter, I think, I may be Uh losing track, we released the cold brew coffee liqueur. And we designed it again. We, we benchmarked ourselves across what we saw were the, the leaders in the market of coffee liqueur. Interestingly, very little made here in the UK. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be our thing. We were producing a, an English coffee liqueur that we made here. Some of the best ones that I've tried are international. Mm-hmm. We released that in the winter. It became our biggest seller. Everyone loves the espresso martini. So suddenly everyone was really interested in trying a new product. It's a coffee-forward coffee liqueur. So there was a lot of, or there is, a lot of sweet options out there. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the, the bigger brands and they're, you know, they're higher in sugar content because that is what most people look for when they're, you know, when they're making their espresso martinis. But we thought there's, there's enough of those on the market. We, we wanted to find our niche and we went with a coffee-forward coffee liqueur. So lower sugar content in the thoughts that if you're making yourself one at home, you add what sugar you want. Of course. And that was always one of the reasons I didn't love drinking espresso martinis in the evening because my heart would be going, they'd be so sweet. So we collectively, we thought if we're making one, this is what it needs to stand for. This is what it needs to be. And yeah, we sent that one out to the San Francisco World Spirit Competition and it picked up double gold, best in class in the liqueur category. So it was a really big deal for us and it kind of put us on the map a little bit. People were starting to go, who are these guys? What's this? They're a year old. They don't just come in and make a double gold winning liqueur. And that was an amazing feeling. That was in the February of 21 that that award came through. Again, after a strange lockdown-y Christmas. And yeah, the coffee liqueur is just going from strength to strength. Like I said, it's, it's probably our bestseller at the moment. Coffee liqueur is really accessible. People love it. There's multiple ways to drink it. And the espresso martini is one of the most popular cocktails around the world. So why not? It's, it's Ab- just a marriage made in heaven. Absolutely. What a great thing to say. Yes, we won this coffee liqueur. But hey, we've been doing a vodka for ages. So come and try that. Yeah, absolutely. And talk just with the espresso martini, encouraging people to use both because the coffee liqueur is made from the Edwards vodka. There's never going to be a more perfect match. Of course. And when people try it, you know, they're often they're like, wow, I've not tried 
And it's, I think because we're using the same base spirit to make the liqueur, they just work really nicely. And we, again, it was one of those, oh my God, guys, what have we done? We're so proud of it. We're going to talk about your canned cocktails in a second. Yeah, maybe that's the next thing is to can an espresso martini cocktail. It's, yes, <laughs> I've been very interested and very keen on doing that for a long time. But yeah, it definitely, releasing the coffee liqueur and it winning such a big award early doors certainly did help us with the vodka. It certainly made people just more aware of that we were here and what we were doing. And it allowed us to start telling our story a little bit about what we were doing and flying the flag for, you know, for some really great stuff that's happening here in the UK. And there really is some amazing spirits being made here. We just, you know, we're all still trying to build. And, you know, when you're an independent brand, you can't always shout louder than the big boys. So it's... Um, you are, you there. are now. Now, I have a question. Did you look around and say, what fruit is so typically British that we have to make a vodka with it, and thus the rhubarb? Yes. <laughs> and again, it's very, very local to us. We are fortunate enough in Yorkshire to have the rhubarb triangle, which is where the of best rhubarb do. is made. <laughs> it's so quintessentially English. Everyone has such great memories of rhubarb. There's a lot of strawberry flavorings out there. Mm. And we thought, okay, we wanted something that, again, we had a story. And the fact that we worked with one of the oldest rhubarb growers in Yorkshire is so lovely. We tried different processes again with the rhubarb vodka. The process that we use and the way we make our rhubarb vodka is with pressed pure rhubarb juice. So again, it's something different. There's no flavorings or anything like that. When making the vodka in the distillery, when you're making the classic vodka, you cut it back from 96% to 40 using water, with right. pure water. When we make the rhubarb, the process that we loved the outcome of was we cut it back with rhubarb juice. So the rhubarb juice is added during that distillation process. Each bottle of the rhubarb has about 30% rhubarb juice in the bottle. So it's a really rhubarb forward, different rhubarb vodka. And again, that bit was important to us. There are other rhubarb things out there. What do we do that's different? Well, we start by using a really good raw ingredient. I don't have the bottle in front of me, but um, it's pink. It's bright pink. It's a colored glass. It's a frosted pink. I don't have a bottle here either. It's a frosted pink. We wanted to make sure it really stood out. We wanted it to really represent what was going on in the bottle. And yeah, we just thought, we tried different colors and we were like, do you know what? We all fell in love with this bright pink bottle. And it's really filled our cup this summer, you know, going on the road and having the bright pink bottles everywhere. People love it. And it's a, it's a conversation starter as well. You know, they're then curious, what's in that bright pink, beautiful, different bottle? And then a lovely pink liquid inside it. Yeah, I think it had to be pink. I mean, the rhubarb is pink. It has to be pink, right? <laughs> and now I have these, these gorgeous bottles, these gorgeous um, cans in front of me. Was this also a lockdown baby or did you think of doing the canned after? Yeah, the, well, we've been talking about cans for a long time. But me being me, I very much was like, slow down, <laughs> one thing at a time. Building a brand does not happen right. overnight. So I was very keen to really build a base for the vodka. And then we came out with the coffee liqueur and then we had the rhubarb. But the cans have been in conversation since the start. It's such a growing category. It's of interest to almost everybody especially when COVID finished, the world opened up again. That's when it felt like the right time to do it. When people could socialize again, 
when we could go on the road and do events again and take the cans with us. So again, it took a little while. It took a while with the design of the cans. I was very, in my head, Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what I wanted them to look like. And when I'm not a designer or an artist, that often takes a long time to translate onto a label. But again, I just worked really, really closely with the, with the marketing guys that I'd worked with on the classic bottle, which was wonderful. They know the brand. We'd worked with them from the start. And we knew we had the rhubarb liquid. We just didn't have the rhubarb bottle. The rhubarb bottle is what took us a long time to agree on the color of the bottle and the finish, whether we gloss or frosted. So the cans were kind of working alongside the launch of the rhubarb. And we were aiming for a summer launch, which we managed to do this summer. So we wanted to do one can with the classic vodka to really showcase the simplicity of a can spritz. And we weren't going for strong, heavy cocktails. We wanted our first cans to be really accessible, really easy to drink. And last year and this year, we had gone on tour with Tom Kerridge and the Pub in the Park festivals and we took our spritz bar we called it a spritz bar we did vodka spritzes for every event and it just worked really well so we thought Mm -hmm. that's what we need to can that's what we need to put in the cans to start with the response to the spritz serves was really good a really approachable way to drink vodka as well for for most people who maybe are scared of vodka or have bad memories of vodka or prefer gin so the spritz serve felt like a really good thing to trial in the cans as well. So the spritzes are the rhubarb spritz, which Mm -hmm. is pretty much just a rhubarb soda. Very Mm -hmm. simple, showcasing the rhubarb. And the other one, we Richard's favorite drink is a vodka lime and soda. And it's really accessible. Everyone likes a good vodka lime and soda. And it's a really nice serve with Edward. But I wanted something more premium. It needed a twist. And we were trying all these samples. I actually went and met, I went and met Ben and Matthew at Peterborough Service Station because I'm based in London. They're based at the distillery. And we met. It was the morning and people must have thought we were mad. And we just filled the table with samples of the mix. And we were trying everything. And we tried these lovely lime heavy mixes. And I was like, but everyone can make that at home. Why are people going to buy it in a can? So we then went back and we experimented with a fiery ginger. And that's what I thought was missing. It's my favorite way of drinking the classic vodka anyway. Ginger and citrus just works really well. So the natural progression was to go for a vodka lime soda with a hint of ginger. And that's what we've put in the can. And um, yeah, we, we launched those in July this summer. And the response has been great so far. Luckily, we've had a nice hot summer for people to, to drink them. And straight out of the fridge, they're just such a perfect low alcohol which so they're only 5% ABV, which makes them quite easy to drink. And yeah, we just, wanted, we just wanted to showcase each of the vodkas. And that's what we came out with. Just two to begin with. We were so excited, obviously. <laughs> and we wanted to can five or six. And I wanted to do an espresso martini. And I think we still will one day. But the guys mm. were like, we've just got to go with two. You know, so again taking it baby steps. The response has been great. We, we took them to the last couple of the pub in the park festivals and people were drinking them at the festival. And that was a proud moment, watching people walking around with the cans of Edward. And that was a, that was a lovely finish in Tizzock. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we are with things. We've, we've released two products this year. We've done the rhubarb vodka and we've done the cans. And we're now on to the next. 
we're now thinking already, because alongside the vodka, we've got a working distillery. The Ocean World Distillery has other things going on that will be, you know, will be coming out the woodworks under a different brand. It won't be. Edwards is mm-hmm. very much our King Edward potato brand. So that is everything vodka related. But there's some other really exciting things that we're working on. And um, we've already done two launches this year. That feels like we've achieved a lot. Well, it's incredible what people have been able to achieve when we were locked down, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it never ceases to uh, surprise me and amaze me about what has been created in that time when we really couldn't do anything. And I mean, in the drinks industry, the creativity, the innovation has been insane. It's been amazing. And we've come out of it with so many new products and a whole different way of thinking, which just shows what mankind can do, really, if it's forced to. It's been really inspiring um, to be a a, a part of that movement, to be one of those, you know, brands that's emerging. But when we've done events and we're talking to other brands out there and they've also been something from lockdown, you know, the lockdown, the cocktail type companies with the pre-batched cocktail. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Like we, that just wasn't really something that people did before. And um, there's so many amazing things that have come out. And I'm, yeah, I'm just super chuffed that we're we're one of those and that hopefully we're, we're here to stick around. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you said that you had a surprising fact for me. I don't <laughs> want to forget that before we go on to our last two questions. It's only just a little fun fact about it's fun for us. It's really nerdy, I'm sure. But obviously the King Edward Potato was related to King Edward Seventh. Every distillery names their still, right? Everybody. And they tend to be female. We're all, they're all female stills. Ours isn't female. We, we sat around and we like, we need to think of something really cool for the still. Everyone has a cool story and ours isn't that cool. We call it Bertie. Our still is called Bertie. Threefold reason. It just worked. King, Ed, King Edward's nickname was Bertie to his family. Yes. That's what he was known as. So that was like, okay, that makes sense. My husband is a Bert. Oh, funny. My husband's a Bert. So I was like, well, I like that because that's, you know, that means something to me. And Ben and Joe's dog is a Bertie. So we were like, guys, it has to be Bertie. It's not the cutest. It's not particularly sexy, but that's the name of the still. And he's engraved on the front of the still and he makes as many photos as we can. So... Well, I love that. And maybe if you get a second still, it'll be Lily for Lily Langtree, his girlfriend. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't think we've got room for another still. It's cute. (laughs) (laughs) Just one still then, Birdie. I love that. I love that. Now, I always end asking two questions. The first is, and I know you're not a bartender, but I'm sure you've been making lots of cocktails lately. What would be your top tip for the home bartender when they're starting to make a cocktail with Edwards 1902? So I guess I can take my own advice here because I'm not a mixologist. And during lockdown, I did become a home bartender. I would say, and my, my advice to myself and my husband was just start small, start simple, get the key ingredients that you need. It's so easy to go online or go in the shop and buy everything that you see and things you've never heard of. But just keep it really simple because a lot of the classic cocktails, which are all back in fashion, everyone's drinking the classics now, which is wonderful are easy to make with just a few ingredients. And I think definitely start small, really good quality products on your bar. And if you can, squeeze your own juices. Shop-bought juices, just don't do the spirits any favors. So I will always have fresh grapefruit, orange, limes and lemons at home. 
And I insist on A, garnishing with them, but B, using them in the drinks. And every drink that I make with Edwards, I'll always finish with a bit of the citrus because it just really works mm-hmm. with the vodka. So they're, they're my two things that I always do. A really good stocked bar with a few high quality products. And yeah, if I can, and I normally can be bothered just to squeeze my own juice. It makes such a difference. Absolutely. Anyone who listens to Lush Life, they should be embarrassed if they are not squeezing <laughs> their own juice, okay, everyone. Good, okay. Good. All right. You can buy a lemon and a lime almost anywhere in the world. So squeeze it. It's just it. not the same. It is it's not, not the it's same. Like it's a whole different thing. And you should not, yeah. you should only put the best ingredients in your cocktails. So because you're drinking it, it's Agreed. going in your mouth. Put good ingredients in. Now, last yeah. question is if you could be anywhere drinking anything right now, where would that be and what would you be having? Well, I, actually, I thought about this. I am actually going to be doing it in a few weeks in New York. New York is my, aside from London, New York it, for me is the best place. I adore New York. I've been fortunate to go enough to go several times. And the bar scene in New York, I think, is just phenomenal. I'm, I always come back inspired, wowed, you know, and they're not big wine drinkers there like they like we are here cocktail forward everything is cocktail heavy so I will probably be drinking a martini my husband will be ordering a Negroni and we'll be sat in one of our favorite bars in New York watching the world go by because we'll be child free which is always a pleasure and yeah that's it well I'll be actually living that in a few weeks time there's nowhere better for me to sit and have a really good cocktail one of the bars in New York do you have a favorite bar in New York Oh, I did have a favorite bar and it didn't survive lockdown. Oh. It was in the West Village called the Highlands and it was an English, mm. kind of English owned, but beautiful. We loved going there. My friends that live locally all went there. It didn't survive because I've just recently tried. But I mean, we'll probably go down to Dead Rabbit. Everyone has to go there and have a cocktail. They do. But I think we'll also be looking at what, what's new, what, what else is out there. Well, you can report back to all of us while we're sipping our cocktails in a can. Thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciate it. And it was so great to hear your story. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It was so lovely to have Emma on the program. And I love that I can drink my Edwards 1902 Cocktail of the Week out of one of the many Edwardian coupe glasses that I collect. Makes all the difference. And did you know you can find vintage barware at my Etsy shop? You can explore it more at etsy.com slash shop slash lush life barware. Now, on to our cocktail of the week. Our cocktail of the week is the Edwards 1902 Rhubarb and Ginger Teeny. And this recipe makes two gorgeous cocktails. You'll need three parts or 75 mils of Edwards 1902 Rhubarb Vodka, three parts or 75 mils of the King's Ginger, and one part or 25 mils of dry white vermouth. Emma loves in-the-loop vermouth from East Sussex, England. Add all the ingredients to a cocktail shaker, add ice, and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain into two Nick and Nora glasses. Then grate some lemon zest over the top of the drink. You'll find this recipe more teeny cocktail recipes than all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find most of the ingredients in our shop. bronchitis again. So sorry for the raspy voice. 
If you live for Lush Life, would you consider supporting us? Just go to patreon.com slash lush life and you can donate once or monthly to make sure we're still here every Tuesday. You can get Lush Life merchandise, personalized bar suggestions, exclusive content, and so much more. Go check it out at patreon.com slash lush life. Then make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Next week, our first in a series of Venice Cocktail Week related episodes is coming your way. Until that time, bottoms up. Thank you.